0: The beam is not lit tonight as the Timberwolves snap the Kings 5 game winning streak, beating the Kings 138-134 in one of the worst defensive games I have ever seen from the Kings. It was so, so bad. This Timberwolves team is not a good offensive team and they put up 138. They couldn't miss from 3, but you know that's what happens when you give them wide open 3s. Reasons why this loss isn't a big deal. They were on a five-game winning streak. This is their first loss since the All-Star break. It was on a back-to-back. Right? Those are the reasons it's not that big of a deal. But being on the second half of a back-to-back is no excuse for how horrible the defense was. It was a sight to behold. Kevin Herter... Great game on offense. I'll get to that. But man, was he terrible on defense. They were running the whoever offense on Kevin Herter. It didn't matter if it was McDaniels, Kyle Anderson, obviously Ant. You know, it did not matter who it was. They were going straight at Kevin Herter, into his chest, and finishing over him or just blowing right by. Keegan Murray was... Having similar treatment, I mean, there was a point in this game, I think it was second quarter, maybe third quarter, I can't remember, although Keegan barely played in the second half, so I'm thinking maybe it was the second quarter, where the Kings finally, finally actually stopped the initial play from the Timberwolves, actually stopped the initial pick and roll, they trapped, you know, Anthony Edwards, and then recovered, it's like, great, they And then the Timberwolves passed it to Kyle Anderson in the corner. Has Keegan on him. It's just one-on-one. And Kyle Anderson just easily beats him for the reverse layup. And that's why Mike Brown said, if you ain't going to give us anything on offense, he was 0 for 2 from 3, then you ain't playing. He had 0 points, 20 minutes, did not play after his, I think it was his initial stint um, to start the second half. And he did not play after that, I believe. Mike Brown was searching for guys to give energy. He went to P.J. Dozier in that third quarter. And P.J. looked like KZ Akpala out there in that he was just forcing shots. He forced two shots, one a three, one a midy, And the defense didn't get any better. So, next man, Kessler-Edwards. And finally, we found the solution. Kessler-Edwards was extremely good in this game. And honestly... Like, just seeing him out there, a big, long wing that can move his feet and defend, it's hallelujah, oh my god. He was really good. He made his one three-point attempt, uh, missed one layup attempt, and that was pretty much the summary of his offensive game, but it was his defensive game, obviously, where he was huge. He was huge in sparking that 17-6 to 6 run in the third quarter. He was uh, the primary defender on Anthony Edwards, who had been having a very good game. But he got Anthony Edwards, I think he was stuck on like 22 points for a while. His activity and length was really bothering Ant. And then what's also big is he stepped into that 3-3. Late in the fourth with a lot of confidence. There was no hesitation in that shot. And that was big. A big three that he made. So I think he probably earned himself some minutes over probably Terrence Davis. uh, Because Terrence Davis couldn't defend Anthony Edwards in this game. The Kings overall just could not guard pick and rolls. Because it would pretty much every pick and roll resulted in a wide open corner three. Every time, every time it was Mike Conley sitting out there, it was Nikhil Alexander Walker sitting out there, it was McDaniels, Kyle Anderson, anybody on that team was just sitting in the corner. Even McLaughlin, the dude's a 22% three point shooter, but he's just sitting open and they were draining threes. It was a really horrible defensive effort in that first half and it didn't change to start the third quarter. And it really didn't change all game, but the Kings kept it close because their offense really is that good. Trey Lyles knocked down big shots. Kevin Herter, like I said, he was huge offensively. He hit uh, on that I think 17 to six run. I think that was when he hit that deep bomb. He was six for nine from three, 11 for 15 from the field, and had 29 points. The Kings did. I mean, they came back when it seemed like the Timberwolves were really pulling away. But, and, and they got it down to a three-point lead going into that fourth, but they just couldn't k- keep keep it that close. They could not, and they couldn't take the lead because they just it would just be you get it close and then a couple threes in a row from the Tipperwolves because they're wide open. So that was extremely frustrating, but the fact that this was even close really does show how good offensively this team was because there was zero defense. It also, I feel like, kind of shows you uh, how incredible that um, game against the Clippers, the second highest scoring game in NBA history was because the defense that the Kings played in that game was way better and the Clippers scored 15 more points in regulation than the Timberwolves. So that was something I was thinking about. I don't know if I mentioned already in this podcast, I was at this game in person. And one thing I will say is, I mean, the energy in that building before the game like when the players were coming out of the tunnel, the energy was way more than when I went to the game, one of the games against the Rockets earlier in the season. And I guess just because it's the Rockets, like the crowd got hyped in that game. But it was it was way louder for this game from the jump. Not even just because it was a close game down the stretch. But the energy in that building is just amazing. So why are the Kings better on the road than at home? That really is the question. And I think the answer really is because the the defense just isn't about a lack of effort. It's just not being smart enough. Just guys or not having the ability to stay in front of a guy. I don't think it's effort because if it if it's effort then i feel like the kings would probably be better at home one thing that i noticed was how terrible the kings were on the defensive glass in that in the second half especially and there was important buckets and it it seemed to always be kevin herter's man that was getting the offensive rebound because you know sabonis would be out guarding uh, trying to double Ant or Conley, whoever it was taking the pick and roll, normally Ant. And so it's a, it's on other guys to get the rebound. And Kevin Herter just was not clap, crashing the glass. He had zero rebounds in this game. You play 33 minutes. You got to grab a rebound. Mike Brown also mentioned uh, Malik Monk. And I didn't notice Monk as much not getting rebounds, but he was like, Mike Brown said, you you. You play 50 minutes combined between Herter and Monk, and they grab one rebound combined. And, yeah, it it was really poor rebounding from what I saw, Kevin Herter especially, and Mike Brown also called out Malik Monk. I think more often than not, if this game is replayed again and you get the exact same shots, the Kings probably win it more often than not just because they're the better shooting team and the Timberwolves wouldn't make that many threes normally. But against better teams, they're not going to win like that. Against the Timberwolves, you might be able to get away with it on a a good amount of nights, which is why the Kings are 37-26. and Against a lot of teams, you can get away with it when you are the number one offense in NBA history. But that's just not going to fly against better teams or just against teams that get hot on that certain night. One thing that I saw was Rudy Gobert was not that good. Uh, You know, he was deterring guys at the rim, but he was getting dominated by Sabonis down low. And then on the offensive end, he couldn't make shots, wide-open shots around the rim. And I just... I mean, like, he, he was okay, but... It's just incredible how much they gave up for him for how little of an impact he really makes. Like, I get he deters guys around the rim. It's not just about block shots, right? But uh, Kyle Anderson was doing just as much around the rim as Rudy Gobert was. Kyle Anderson doesn't cost five first-round picks. I thought the Timberwolves were better when they had Nas Reed out there. And, I mean, I said in my last podcast, Kings aren't going to stop Nas Reed, and they did not. It's like, in the first half especially, it's like they forgot that other teams could make threes and that, like, Nas Reed can shoot. He was just getting left wide open. They went under on a Mike Conley screen. He just stepped in, knocked down a three, and that was after he'd made a few threes. It's just like they forgot that these guys could make threes. And then in the second half, I felt like, you know, they weren't giving up those types of wide-open threes. But then in the second half, it was just about late rotations. Also, the Kings did a pretty poor job of closing out on guys, falling for pump fakes, especially early in this game. It's really incredible that this was even close, but it was. And the Kings had a chance. They had a chance to tie the game at one point when Kessler Edwards went to the rim. He missed a pretty tough layup which is, you know, fine. And then Sabonis got the rebound. He was right there. He could have tied the game. I don't know how he missed that, but he missed that, and then the Timberwolves go the other way and score in transition. That was a big swing point. I mean, there were a few times the Kings got within, you know, one, two, three, but they just could not quite do it. De'Aaron Fox, you could see him holding his wrist. There's definitely something not right there. I don't know why... He was trying to take, he kept taking step back threes or really long twos, which is not his game. Uh, And I guess it was just because we were down four, so he felt like we needed a three, but we definitely didn't. So he got fouled on one, got bailed out because he was not making that shot, and then took another one late. And I know people were questioning the Kings fouling down two with 28 seconds. And I don't understand how you could watch this game and think, why didn't the Kings just rely on their defense? No, of course you're not going to rely on your defense. You've given up 136 points at that point. You can't get a stop. Of course you're not going to rely on your defense. Of course you have to foul there. One thing that I noticed about this game, very few turnovers from both sides 6 for the Kings, 11 for the Timberwolves. And that's kind of surprising because the the Timberwolves do have length, but I thought the Kings did a pretty good job of playing around that and taking care of the ball. I mean, offensively it was, it was a great performance, it really was. Sabonis was doing great inside, Barnes was knocking down threes, getting inside. Obviously Herder was great. Uh, you know, Fox was solid and Lyles was great. Monk had his 8 points, 5 assists, right? But uh, it's just the defensive end, man. I think when you look at this team going forward, not this season, but in future seasons, you really have to... Hopefully, Keegan develops into a better defensive player. You know, he's made strides this season, but... He's not there. He doesn't have the same lateral quickness as a guy like Kessler Edwards. But then I think you have to look at, you know, Barnes is a solid defender. But I think you probably, obviously going forward, he's pretty, he's getting up there in age. 30 plus. So I think when you're looking at the spots that you need to probably replace at some point going forward, it's going to be that small forward spot and you need a defensive player in that spot. I mean, and and obviously, the only other spot that you could think about is the shooting guard spot, but I don't see Kevin Herter losing that spot, even though he is pretty bad defensively. So I think going forward, you're really looking at Keegan to make strides defensively going forward, and then you have to get another wing player, uh, either the three or the four. Obviously, Keegan can just play the three, and you know, if he makes those strides defensively. And then hopefully you get a someone who can block shots and defend. One thing that I noticed uh, was Mike Conley wasn't out there to start the second half, and then he came in after like a minute, maybe even less. So I don't, I was just wondering what that was about. I don't know what that was about. The Kings before this game uh, were the last team to be undefeated after the All-Star break. So that was cool, because the Bucks lost to Philly earlier today. Uh, but obviously, that is gone now. Their next game is uh, an NBA TV game against the Pelicans at home. The Pelicans have really, really been struggling for a while now. I mean, we took the third place uh, spot in the West from them, and then they just plummeted. But one thing that we, of course, have to remember is what happened last time we played the Pelicans. The Pelicans were without a bunch of guys. And the Kings lost 136-104 in the saddest game of the season. So hopefully we can do a little better than that. I think the Pelicans still, I mean, they have a lot of injury concerns. Uh, Zion's still out. Brandon Ingram has been back, but he was battling injuries. Uh, and then Larry Nance, Jose Alvarado, Josh Richardson have all been out uh, in Valanchunas' day-to-day, it says. So at the end of the day, a game that the Kings should be heavily, heavily favored in. Still at home. Uh, the Kings will be rested up. Pelicans will be as well. But yeah, um, The Pelicans are bad on the road. 11 and 22. Last time the Kings played the Pelicans, it was Trey Murphy and it was Najee Marshall who went off. I don't expect that to happen again, but if the Kings give the same looks to the Pelicans as they just gave to the Timberwolves, then it's very possible that it could happen again because Trey Murphy is just going to be sitting there at the three-point line, and he's just gonna be shooting away. I do wonder if we see more Kessler Edwards minutes, possibly guarding Brandon Ingram in this game. That could be interesting. I don't know. We'll we'll see if, if he's earned minutes right away. I think he should, because we need a guy like that to be able to go out there and defend. Especially, you know, Kessler Edwards finished the game for the Kings because if, I mean, if, especially if he can knock down the open three, then why not have him out there uh, in place of, yeah, Keegan Murray or Malik Monk or Trey Laos, whoever it is, because he's better defensively, obviously, than all of those guys. And in late-game situations, if it's just going to be Fox all the time, then all, all the guy, who whoever it is in that spot, all they're going to be doing is sitting on the perimeter and waiting to, catch and shoot a three so if Kessler Edwards can do that he can earn not only just minutes but late game minutes like we saw today obviously it was just one game so he could I mean I could just see him not even playing in this next game and not playing much the rest of the season because I mean that's a big possibility but I would like to see him more also one thing I forgot to mention, we saw Alex Len. Alex Len cameo. Let's go. The crowd went crazy for Alex Len. You know, if if the Kings hadn't been on a 17 to 6 run at the time, would they have gone as crazy? Probably not. But still, the crowd loved Alex Len. He went out there, played defense, then set a great screen for Malik Monk to get the and-one. So a great 30 seconds there from Alex Len. Anyways, that is it for this episode of The Royal Report. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you are listening to the audio version of the podcast, make sure to leave a rating and a review. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore The Royal Report, and I will see you guys next time to recap that game against the Pelicans. Peace.